0: Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host Kevin DeVries and as always if you'd like to reach us to the podcast you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPL Roundtable
1: at gmail.com.
2: Hi guys, I'm Jim. I'm the Leicester City representative for the EPL Roundtable. You can find me on Twitter at Jim988.
1: Hello, I'm Jay. I'm editor of the EaglesBeak.com, a Palace fans site by fans for fans. I also uh present for Palace Fan TV and I'm also a football expert on a local community radio show Back of the Net.
0: Alright, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have making the rounds where we'll each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs recently. Jim, we joked a little bit beforehand, but Leicester exactly where you thought you'd be at the beginning of the season, top of the table after 23 weeks.
2: Yeah, I'm struggling to believe it, all to be honest. It kind of feels like a dream that just you never wake up from. Um you keep expecting it to the bubble to burst. And that's a big thing for the media here in England. Everyone keeps talking about bubbles bursting and how our form isn't going to be able to continue on. But to be fair, we had that run of six really tough games over Christmas and the year. And we kind of came through those relatively unscathed. We still lost only two games all season. Um, one of which was the Liverpool game over Christmas where we put in a really below par performance. And if you look at some of their performances recently, you know, we could look back at that game as a bit of a, a Missed opportunity to be fair, um, it, and then if you add in the fact that we've missed two penalties in the last three weeks that have cost us effectively four points um, one against Bournemouth and one against Aston Villa, both games finished in draws um, after Morris had missed penalties. You know, we could be streets ahead by now, but you know, it's just unbelievable that we're in the position that we are. Um, we had a, a, a comfortable 3 0 win over Stoke, I think, this week. I don't think it's overstating it to call it comfortable. Um, It was quite an even game for about the first half an hour until Ryan Shawcross went off injured. Um, And he is such a a huge player for Stoke. I don't know if there are many teams, maybe Manchester City with Vincent Kompany, I don't think there are many teams who look so poor without their key central defender in the team. Um, And they bought on um, a, a replacement and, you know, they just looked really all at sea from from that moment onwards, and it just meant that we were able to capitalise um, from set-pieces, and which is unusual against Stoke. They're normally one of the teams you can trust to to, to defend set-pieces really well. Um, we were getting joy down the flanks, which I think we were always going to do. But, you know, we started with Vardy and Okazaki, and when you think, you know, they're they're two guys that are barely tipping six foot, um, you know, not at all in Okazaki's case. So, um, we were expecting a, a kind of rough game, kind of. And it just never really materialised after Danny Drinkwater's shot kind of deflected off a defender and went in, which is, you know, I was so pleased for him because it, it was his first um, Premier League goal. And, you know, for someone who has been through the academy system like he has, been knocked back by Manchester United, dropped down to uh, the Championship and, and League One, and Championship, and didn't go to League One, just the Championship, um, and then, to you know, to battle his way back up Um, and play an entire season last year without actually getting on the score sheet to do it on Saturday, You know he was overjoyed and that was was great to see. From then on, the second half was really comfortable because Stoke had to chase the game um, and we were able to just pick them off. Drink water again with a superb assist for Vardy, a kind of lobbed first-time pass down the middle. Vardy looked like the Vardy of six or seven weeks ago when he was firing on all cylinders, uh, rounded the goalkeeper and put it in the back of the net from a, a tight angle. Uh, and then we finished it off with probably the assist of the weekend from Riyad Mahrez, a, an elastico flick through the legs of the defender um, to run round him, cross it. I'm not I'm not convinced it was a cross. It might well have been a shot that he scuffed. Uh, but Ulloa, who's on as a second-half substitute, just poked it in from about six yards into an empty net, which was um, nice. The icing on the cake, really, because Ulloa came on and looked, you know, really, really up for it, which is a, a good sign because recently he's been a kind of shadow of the player we saw last season. He hasn't looked particularly energetic. The whole Leicester City system is set up to press from the front and um, he, he hasn't been doing that quite as effectively this year as he did last year. So to see him come off the bench after about 60 minutes and really um, push um, you know to, to his limits physically, um, be imposing, dropping deep to get flick-ons for the ball and, and Vardy being back to what looks like full fitness is obviously a big positive on that front because the struggles when he's plowing that lone far at front to try and get the ball and hold it up. He's much more of a flick on the striker than a, a take the ball on the chest and try and turn with a striker. So um Vardy looking back to something like full fitness, which is encouraging going into the final few, you know, fifteen games of the season. Uh so yeah, all round a, a pretty good week, apart from the defeat in midweek against Tottenham, which I'm I'm not gonna dwell on too much. It was a heavily rotated team from both sides to be fair, but I think Leicester's team certainly weaker um than Tottenham's when you, you look at it, but that's the name of the squad game, you know. Um Tottenham could afford to to make a few changes and still have a particularly strong lineup, whereas we made ten changes I think and you know really paid the price for that. We looked very, very average, uh lost two nil and it, it could have been it could have been more really. Uh, we had a chance to get back into it in the second half, but in reality we we were very much second best on the night. So we'll focus on the league obviously. Um and just hope that we can keep up this kind of form because at the moment, you know, teams are falling apart around us, which is just allowing us hopefully to build up some kind of cushion so that when we inevitably have a bit of a, a dry spell, we can um, we can weather that hopefully with a little bit of a points advantage on our side.
0: Yeah, one of the things I always find interesting is uh, how certain groups of fans look at their fixture list. Like as Tottenham fans there are certain matches you look like Norwich this upcoming week and they're kind of must wins or you expect to win heading into them. Leicester continue to just beat everyone around them, which is what matters. You have Liverpool and City coming up next. Are those matches that you're now looking at as winnable? You've kind of readjusted your perspective or are you still kind of wondering if, you know, those are matches you'll struggle in? Because as many teams are expecting to beat you, it seems like everyone is kind of forgetting to.
2: Yeah, I don't think, I I think we've had this mentality now since that run of, of fixtures over Christmas. Uh, where we played a lot of the big teams. We played Everton, who were doing quite well, actually. They've been in pretty poor form since we beat them. But we played Everton, we played Liverpool, uh, we played Manchester City um, and Manchester United. And Chelsea obviously started that, that run when we beat them and Mourinho got sacked. So we played them all in the space of kind of eight or nine games. Um, I don't think we should fear anybody. And I think you know, that has been proven not only by our form and the confidence that's going with that, and the belief and team ethic that we've got going on and you know we I think Ranieri absolutely loves the fact we're constantly the underdogs I think it creates a real siege mentality within the squad and I think that kind of adds an extra dimension to our uh, game because no one expects us to to keep go out and keep winning and and for us being able to prove the doubters wrong you know the squad is made up of players who Throughout their careers, have probably been told they're not good enough for one level or another. Bar the you know the odd player, Inla Fuchs, maybe is another example where you know he's played at a very very good level for the majority of his career, or certainly recent career. Um, players like Casper Schmeichel, players like Danny Drinkwater, Matty James, who's just coming back from injury, certainly Jamie Vardy. Um, you know these are players who've been told by bigger clubs that they're not good enough, and I think the the fact that everyone expects us to to have that bubble burst. To use that expression again, only makes us, you know, more determined to go out and beat teams like Manchester City, like Liverpool. And if you look at our performances against those teams um in the reverse fixtures, Liverpool, as I said, we were very, very poor. Uh, but if you look at their recent games and, and their squad situation at the moment, there's no reason anybody should go and fear Liverpool, you know. Aston Villa shouldn't go and fear Liverpool, let alone Leicester. So, you know, hopefully we can go and get a positive result there. Again, Manchester City without Vince and Company look a shadow of their former selves. And you know, if it wasn't for Sergio Aguero bailing them out against West Ham, um, they wouldn't got, have got anything from that game. Um, so it, hopefully, if we can keep him quiet, there's every chance we can go and get something from them as well. Um, it's it's a pretty exciting time to go into games like that, thinking that you have a realistic chance. You know, I know sometimes big teams do get turned over by quote unquote smaller teams, but to go into those games thinking we have a very very realistic chance of taking something here based on not only kind of blind optimism and blind faith, but, you know, the the preceding 23 games that we've seen and how well we've performed. Um, it's got just got a fantastic buzz around the club. And hopefully we can just kind of keep riding that wave now, because the, the more the teams around us go on not catching us and letting us get further away, you've got teams, you know, Tottenham, one of the form teams in the league, I've got the Europa League. So have uh, Manchester United, Manchester City, obviously, um, have, have got the Champions League to worry about. Um, so, you know, there's every chance that those teams are, are going to be even more stretched coming to the close season when we're essentially going to have a whole week to prepare for games, whereas those teams are jetting around Europe on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday, uh, in Tottenham's case, and then coming back to play on a Sunday. So... That's you know that's another advantage I think, and it's something that we should you know should really count for us rather than against us at the moment.
0: Well, in that case, you're welcome for knocking you out of the <laughs> FA Cup. <laughs>
1: um,
0: all right, uh, Jay. Obviously, not the weekend you would have liked. Uh, I think many people would be surprised to find you're in 11th at the moment. What's been happening at Crystal Palace?
1: So for Palace, we've uh, we've continued a bit of a a bit of a rut we're in at the moment Um, another loss in the Premier League it's our uh, fourth loss in a row Uh, in between time we did win in the FA Cup at Southampton so we did actually see some goals in that one but in this one we scored a goal first time in the Premier League for I think it was a some ridiculous amount of time. Eight hours, I think uh, the the last quote was. I think it was eight hours just before we scored. So that's, f- I think it's four games, five games that we hadn't scored for. So we're really struggling at the department since we lost Bilassi. Um And obviously Wickham was injured in that same game. The last win we had was away at Stoke, which is a good win. Since then, we can't do anything right. It's, it's really bizarre. But um, as for the game, really impressed with Tottenham, the way they played. Started off really well. A lot of possession first, 15, 20 minutes had a couple of chances, threatened our goal, but other than that, didn't really put too much together behind our backline. As such, and we kind of stood firm, but then we kind of came into it a little bit, and we had a ten-minute spell where we really had to go at Spurs, got stuck in, and some of the Spurs players didn't particularly didn't look like they fancied it too much, and, and that's how our goal came about in a way because um, Kabai got stuck in MacArthur in the middle as well, and and really hassled and harangued the, the Spurs, uh, the Spurs team, and uh, and Will Fouty was uh, was was really good for us. He's is it is kind of struggled a little bit cuz there's so much expectation on him to you know to be the flair player to be the player that creates something for, for the for the side, particularly while blass is out. And while Balazs is in the team, they play off each other really well. They switch wings and, and Balazs is a little bit different. I, I was just saying yesterday that um, Wilf doesn't kind of gamble on Connor um, kind of Wickham getting a flick on. So, you know, if he's going to get a flick on, there's nobody to run behind at the moment, which has caused the problem because you know, strikers can't always get to the ball and, and, and hold it up. It, it is quite often going to be a flick on or, or a deft touch here and there. Yes, I think we were fortunate at half-time to go in with a goal lead, particularly on a balance of playing that first half. But I think we'd worked hard to get back into into the game, really, because Tottenham were looking like they were dominating. And that's kind of what happened in the second half. Harry Kane got his goal for the equaliser. Clever move from him. It's difficult to see whether there was a you know, a mistake by our defenders. Cause maybe there was a lack of communication because Kane kind of come off of Suarez's shoulder uh, onto the back of Delaney. I think Delaney had looked behind him before um, Kane had moved, didn't look again. And that's how Kane just, you know, run onto the ball, headed at home, whether Hennessy could have been a bit stronger coming out there, but um, yeah, it was one all second goal. What can you say about the second goal from, um Deli Ali class that completely and I think if you watch the replay from from the from the other end of the pitch you can see Yednack um see the ball go over his head from Ali and he didn't look back again. He knew he, he knew what I'd, what he'd done as soon as it left his foot. Um, but yeah, very special goal. And I think that's the third season in a row we've seen a massive goal of season contender. Um, first season back in the Premier League was Kasami's goal for Fulham. Last year was Phillips's goal for QPR. From long distance, and so now we've seen Deli Alli's goal uh, for Spurs, which is uh, for me, it's you know, it's it's real touch of class. And what can you do about that? I mean, the mo- most Palace fans around me were applauding it. Um, to be fair, um, you know, it's, it's disappointing that you know we we got a lead and and, and we'd uh, surrendered that lead. But um, you know, it's class goal, and and really Tottenham, you know, we. We pushed hard to get the equaliser, but we were caught on the, you know, on the counter with uh, Chadley getting a third, which I think it was a little bit harsh on us, really, because I think we hit the crossbar three or four times in that game. I think once there was uh, we hit the crossbar twice in a matter of seconds. Uh, first from Scott Dan, and second from uh, Mila Yednak. Uh, great shot from Soiree, who uh, Lloris saved. Lloris was. Actually, first half he was a bit dodgy in goal. Second half he was outstanding, um, saving everything we we put towards goal. So we gave it a good go. Just couldn't get a ball over the line. Um, and it's just one of those games, in him really. But Spurs impressed me. Good side, you know, pushing for or well, pushing for a title. To be fair, I mean they're up there, uh, one of the only teams apart from Leicester that look like they want to win the title this year. Um, but yeah, I think we come up against the side. I mean the last that that's the fourth game, and we've had we've played Chelsea, who were in form when they played us. Bizarrely enough. Um, we had Man City who who smashed us last week, and now Tottenham. So we lost to Villa away, which was a which was a terrible performance. But there's four games there, which I think when you look at the next five we've got uh, coming up, they're a little bit more favourable than some of those game results. And I'm hoping that we can get some of these players back on form, punch them again for me it's frustrating Conor Wickham was good for us yesterday but I have a real fear that he's going to have a three match ban coming his way for an elbow on uh, on Vatongan, which um, yeah a, a stupid thing to do really was a, you know a silly thing to do but if you see it from a longer pitch, uh has got hold of him running into six yard box, but there's no need for you know, to swing his elbow like that. Whether he did it just to shrug him off, I don't know, whether there's in any intent then Wickham's the only one that can tell us that or not. But um I have a ver- feeling that him and probably Fellaini after his elbow at yes, uh, the weekend as well, probably be heading for, for bands, which, you know, if if we lose Wickham that's gonna hit us hard unless we get somebody striker in but I'm not too disheartened because it was a better performance in recent weeks um, there is signs there, there was a few good things to take from it, um, you know we, we did worry Spurs at different points in the game but just not enough really
0: Yeah you mentioned there the uh, Wickham incident which will probably end up being a uh, multi-match ban back yeah, Sako got... still injured if you don't address mm. that position this week which uh, for the Premier League you do have 10 days to do Uh, Hmm. as the matches aren't at the weekend they're the following Uh, do you you think that you'll get somebody in and if not who would you play up front
1: (laughs) good question Um, Dwight Gale's on his way back to fitness he wasn't involved yesterday but I believe he's uh, ready for next week against Stoke so it would be good to have him back although as I've said before he can't play that lone striker role Uh, we have Fraser Campbell who yeah works hard but doesn't really do a lot else. I do like him, but I, I think we've evolved uh, from him a little bit. Shemak, I mean, we have a problem with our strikers because only one striker has scored this season and that's kind of Wickham from a penalty spot. Um, none of our strikers have scored other than I think Dwight Gale scored a couple in the Carling Cup but in the Premier League we're really struggling for for those goal scorers and you know I I go back to the Newcastle game where everything just worked perfectly for us we beat them 5-1 and that is how this formation is set up to work with Conor Wickham doing the hard work up front, laying off the ball to our quick midfield and and our midfield scored those five goals in that game that's exactly how it should be working Um, Conor Wickham hopefully chipping in with goals here and there but it's it's not really worked out like that, and with Wickham not playing that lone striker role, it's it's hard to see who's going to play it. I, I'm really, I'm hopeful that is going to bring somebody in because I think we need a fresh face in the change, and we need a fresh face in the team, just to liven things up a little bit. Because I think probably more so if kind of Wickham is going to have this ban, then uh, then we will struggle a bit more. Shemak's not a, a front man. He can play a number 10 role, as he has done for us recently, but I I have my doubts about him this season anyway. Um, Dwight Gale, I mean, if we could play him off somebody, but we don't have somebody to play him off. Um, So it might, might have to be a change of formation slightly we have to, i think we have to get somebody in and i'm confident that parge will he, he's come out and said that he's not looking to add to the defence on the midfield he's looking to to add to the attacking goal scorer to help with the goal scoring um and i know he's mentioned a few names uh, in the media or the media've mentioned a few names but i think he's just they're just ploys to uh you know take the media off the scent a little bit Because i think Pargie's like that Well, hopefully anyway um so we'll we'll see i mean uh, yeah, we got we got quite a few days, uh, just over a week um, to go into that window. So we'll see what happens in in that period of time. Alright, Yeah. Naturally, there will be a lot of overlap,
0: <clears throat> uh,
1: as as I'm going to be talking
0: about that same match uh, against <laughs> Crystal Palace. Uh, I I would agree with the assessment at halftime, and when we tweeted back and forth, uh, as we live in modern times and such, uh, at halftime that, that you know it felt like Tottenham were dominant, but. Um, mm as I said then, kept trying to play out of the back even when under pressure. So I, I think credit does go to Palace because it wasn't just errors on our part, but you were forcing them um, it, from tennis who were doing the Australian Open. They were forced errors. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Jan Bertongen was at fault twice for that first goal uh, by not mm-hmm. clearing the ball and then deflecting it past Larice. Uh, which obviously unfortunate, but like I said, he kind of brought it on himself. And he was not the first person to try that. Hugo, just a few minutes before, had tried to dribble past somebody. Alderweireld tried to pull a Vlad Kirrakesh and dink it over someone. Just kick it. I know that there are certain matches where you want to play it out of the back, and that's what we love to do. We love to split the center backs and do the whole Barcelona thing. But yeah, unfortunately, we didn't just clear the ball, so the Jan Vertonghen own goal happened, which did snap your eight-hour scoreless streak. Kind of, if that counts that way. Um, it <laughs> seemed like, like we it. had. Yeah, right. Uh, it did seem like we had equalized off of a Danny Rose shot, but, and I was fascinated to see this, and I'm sure you were delighted. Wayne Hennessy somehow snagged that out of the air mm. after he just pummeled it. Um, yeah. So big ups to Hennessy there. Uh, it felt like we were we on did, the
1: back I foot. Mention, actually, sorry, yeah. Kay, I did forget to mention, actually, sorry, I did forget to mention, Hennessy actually reacted really well in that game. He's had two yeah. terrible mistakes in recent weeks. Pardew stuck with him, gave him a chance to prove himself once like this game. I think he did, to be honest. Yeah. A, bit, a little bit of question over the equalizer, yeah. Uh, over the equalizer that Harry Kane could he have come out to the six-yard box and taken it, but defenders were there, so I think it and should it have been lobbed. a defender's ball. Exactly. Yeah. So to be harsh, here, yeah, maybe you could pin a little bit of blame on him. But I, I was impressed. To be fair, he, he made he made uh, a few great saves, and that one for Danny Rose, I mean, it could have gone anywhere, really, couldn't it?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, it's, yeah. So and and hard,
0: so. he he blasted it high because you expect the keeper's going to go low there, try to get exactly. wide. And so yeah, the 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 fact he managed to save that was was a huge credit to you. And at that point, uh, is one of the reasons why we felt so hard done by is because you don't save that. <laughs> that should have been. <laughs> For all intents and purposes, a goal, but it obviously was not. Um, then the start of the second half, pretty much from the kickoff, it felt like you guys were on the front foot and we were just trying to to keep uh, just keep in it, really. Um, and then Pochettino, who I mentioned midweek, uh, I did not super like his substitution policy. Uh, made an excellent substitution, bringing on Nasser Chadley for Eric Dyer. Now, as much as I love Eric Dyer and everything he's done this season and how he's a defensive midfielder slash center back slash right back, there's not really much point to him if we're chasing a match because all he does is defend. Uh, And Chadley, I wasn't a huge fan of the substitution because he's looked out of shape and he's looked a step slow since his return. And some hosts of a particular EPL roundtable could have thought that maybe LaMela should have come on instead. Um, but fortunately, that didn't happen. Chadley did find Kane with that lofted ball that Jay and I just discussed. Um, and it was, it was just kind of scrambly. Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily blame Hennessy. It it's not something you often see that close uh, for him to just lob it up like that. But That's Harry Kane right. did get on it, heads it in, makes it level 1-1. And you'd think, oh, well, now Spurs are going to go on to do well. But instead what happened was you had, by my count, in like a three-minute span, five shots that were either saved, deflected, or hit the woodwork after yep. we had equalized. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: obviously it was a very crazy spell, yeah.
0: It was. Very excited as a Spurs fan that none of those went in. But there was the Hugo, <laughs> the diving save with the left hand where it looked like it was going straight in and he just batted it straight down. Then the yeah. the repost to that was um, blocked by Alderweireld. Then yep. you had was it a header? Uh, they came in, uh, hit the crossbar, came back out, yeah. kicked it.
1: Scott down, yeah, Scott down header. Then hit it against the bar. Oh, yep. it was crazy, it, was like it, was, it
0: really was crazy. It. Uh, it was one of those matches where I felt we played well against Leicester, actually, and then came away with no points. Then it just happens that in a different match, you play less well, and then you get the result. Like last week, I didn't think we particularly played well against Sunderland, but won 4-1. Um, it, it just felt like one of those. Like, you have those days where you show up, you're just constantly shooting at the keeper. You know you have—you're like, it's just not one of our days, the whole rub yeah. of the green thing. Yeah. It was the opposite of that. We had so much rub of the green. Um <laughs> But uh, so, yeah, from there, from their crazy run of of trying to get the the go ahead goal, it kind of slowed down from there. Looked like both teams were kind of tiring a bit. And then Mm. Della Ali, who, by the way, did not have a particularly good match, decided to just pull off a worldie for no reason at 19. So it, it all started Harry Kane was drifting down the right. He crosses a ball that looks like it's been way overcooked. Finds Ericsson over someone. Then um, Ericsson heads it back in. Ali takes a foot, uh, a touch with his right foot, knocks it up, does another over, I think you said it was Yedinak. It was, yeah. And just crushes it uh, into the ground, bottom left corner. Just an absolutely stunning goal. Uh, I wasn't one of the many that came out and said... Uh, that it was going to be a a goal-of-the-year nominee, one, because it would be very self-serving, and two, because it's only the 23rd week of the season. But it was a a magnificent goal, and if you have not seen it, do yourself a favour and
1: do so. Um, It's interesting, Kev, there. You said that uh, you didn't think Delhi Ali had a particularly good game, but actually, they're they're watching the game. I I thought he was pretty decent. Hmm. He. He, he was. I, I don't know. It, it's, it's it's odd, isn't it? When you watch when you watch a game on TV, you only see what the camera's pointing at. Um, yeah. When you're at a game, you get a completely different um, context of how the game is being played out um, to, to what's on TV. It's very similar to watching the highlights in an evening, thinking, mean that didn't look like that," you know, when I was there at the game. But I, th- I thought Ali was excellent yesterday. I have to say, mm. he, like he was involved in because those would be yeah, the times
0: that wouldn't be televised.
1: Yeah, and he had a couple of run-ins with uh, Johan Gabay as, as the <laughs> game went on, so, particularly in the first half. I think uh, they had a bit of a run-in battle, but you know, um, yeah, I, I thought I, I thought he was one of your standout players, and, and Dembele was excellent. Yeah. He's so strong on the ball. You know, he doesn't he, he holds off players and and uses the ball as, as he should do. But um, yeah, they complement themselves. You know, each of those two, both very well. I Was impressed with both actually.
0: Yeah, and uh, I mentioned there that Eric Dyer doesn't do much else. This is actually a thing that I've mentioned a few times in the past that I wouldn't mind seeing is a uh, Dembele and Ali kind of double pivot because both Mm. of them are capable of defending. It's just that Eric Dyer is that extra 20%, 30% better at that one thing. But it offers so much more, and I, I think that's why I was so pleased with the substitution. It's not only did we get more attacking in the midfield, but also brought on Nasser Chadley, who scored 11 goals last year. Many people may have forgotten that since he's kind of dropped out of Spurs 11. Um, but yeah, after the Ali goal, it did look like we were really starting to turn on the flair. Ali just a yeah. few minutes after that did that where he uh, turned to the defender and it looked like he was in and going to score, hit the crossbar there. Not that I'm going to complain about us hitting the crossbar because <laughs> uh, the ratio of those definitely benefited us. Um, and then minutes after that, Nasser Chadley scored a, a great curler um, to to seal things up. And, and like I said, I think at halftime it was harsh that we were down 1-0. I think at full time it was very harsh on you Uh, that you leave the match with a negative two goal difference from that match, which Mm -hmm. felt, all all in all, 90 minutes considered, like a fairly even match. Each team just had a few 10-minute spurts where they were the better side. Um, As for where we sit after that match, uh, we are actually, Funstat, currently just as near first place as fifth place, which is a five-point gap between the two. Uh, And we have a couple of favorable fixtures heading up. Uh, We have Norwich, then Watford. Then we head to the Etihad in three weeks. And I think that that will be the real test for us and where we're going to end the season. <laughs> this changes week by week, but I'm feeling very confident in top four yet again. Uh, but if if we could somehow win the next three, Norwich Watford and City, I think then we could begin to think potentially about possibly discussing an unlikely run at the title. But only time will tell on that. Alright, so where that all puts us in the league is uh, currently still fourth, and we're actually just as near to first place as we are to fifth, five points to either. And we do have some favorable fixtures up next with Norwich and Watford, who do seem to be having a bit of a dip, although they did beat Newcastle this week. Um, but then we have a really big match in three weeks, and uh, this may not be known by non-Spurs fans, but Spurs fans out there, uh, let me know if this sounds familiar. Uh, our travel to the Etihad will probably decide where we finish the season. It seems like every year that how we fare against Manchester City away dictates how we do. Uh, and hopefully we can get a win there. And if we do manage to win there and we manage to beat Norwich and Watford in the lead up to that. So we somehow pick up nine of the last nine of the next nine points. Then we could somehow begin to think potentially about possibly discussing an unlikely run at the title. I'm not ready to go there yet at all. Are we five points off? Yes. But um, the thing about that is how there's still some season left to play. Uh, So hopefully we can manage to do that. I think if we pick up six, then I'll be very confident in top four. But I think we need nine of the next nine to really claim that we're title contenders. That would take us through... Uh, A lot of February. We would probably know where we are standing in the Europa League, and then we can get more excited about that. Um, Fun stat that's been floating around on Spurs Twitter. Uh, We are currently first in the league in youngest average starting 11. Goals conceded the good way. (laughs) Only 19 conceded. Uh, Shot accuracy. Shots on target. Shots on target faced. And keeper clearances, which for some reason somebody included in this graph, which isn't actually really a positive stat because it means Hugo's having to save our our butts a whole lot. Um, But fortunately, we do have a keeper as good as Hugo Lloris in the back. Um, As far as transfer news, hate doing it, but here we go. Uh, Rumors swirling that we've agreed a fee for Musa, a.k.a. 2S Dembele, from Fulham, um, but that they are waiting to sign everything until they found a replacement for him. Now, if you have to do this a lot for your job, that's a really convenient thing to say if you're a quote-unquote ITK because you've already built in a way that you can get out of it, which is, oh, they didn't find a replacement. So, of course, we didn't do it. So, I would continue to take heaps of salt any time you see transfer rumors, especially as it's going to get worse because, uh, Jay, when I mentioned, will you have a striker by your next Premier League match, I failed to notice that by then the transfer window will be over. So, hopefully, you do do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a, it's it's a great for a wonder, second. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. um just a warning to everyone that in case you've already been hearing a whole bunch of crazy nonsense, it's about to get ramped up to twelfth gear. Uh, oh, just, <laughs> for the rest of the month. So just buckle in, look at sources, look for check marks next to people's names. <laughs> just you know, have fun. I'm not I'm not trying to kill everyone's buzz, but just be a little realistic about it. Uh if you get linked with Falcow, don't get excited. It's over for him. Just don't buy a bio. Yeah, we're out of Iowa. Or, or, or I, I honestly started seeing links that were like, should Tottenham go in for Falcao? I'm like, have you seen him <laughs> the last two years? I vote no. Anyway, so just be careful out there, guys. Um, and as we're talking about transfers and rumors and Spurs uh, rumors in particular, Pochettino's mentioned several times that we're not just looking for a striker. We could have gotten Charlie Austin. We could have done other deals in the summer but that the reason we're taking things slowly is because he wants someone who's good for the club and is a good fit both on and off the pitch, which has severely limited our options. Now you can either say that's just a fun way of masking your actual targets or it's an actual policy in place at the club. So do you think that that is a policy and does your club have a similar mindset? And as a fan, do you particularly care about off-pitch personality?
2: Um. And- I think it probably is, especially with Pochettino. He doesn't. He seems to be the type of manager who takes a very detail-orientated approach, so I could understand him wanting to see, personality-wise, that a player was a good fit in the dressing room. Um, or, you know, you. Know, I suppose you never really know until they're there, but for the most part, he'd want to get a good assessment of, of someone's credentials um, off the pitch as well as on it. I think, I'm not sure Leicester operate quite a... Um, such a strict approach, um, perhaps because our targets are maybe a little bit more under the radar than others. So, you know, a lot of our players aren't necessarily always linked with other clubs. Um, we have already signed Damari Gray, uh, this transfer window from Birmingham. Uh, he's, a, he's a young 19-year-old winger who, who's come in and looked pretty sharp in the, in the games that we've had so far. And uh, we signed Daniel Amarty as well this week. who's a 21-year-old uh, kind of utility player who can play uh, defensive midfield. Apparently, he can play right-back, uh, although I've never seen him play right-back. And he can play centre-back as well. Uh, so, he gives us quite a lot of options um, at, at, the back of the, at the back of the field. Um, he came in uh, from FC Copenhagen. He looks a lot older than 21. Um, the picture that I saw of him, that the club put up of him in a Leicester shirt, he looks... He looks kind of mid-20s uh, and he, he is a very well-built young man, I think we'll, we'll call him. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing him in action if he can get in the team. Although at the moment, it's very difficult to see where those players fit in because, you know, the squad that we've got and the way that we're playing at the moment, you don't necessarily see a place for someone like that um, in the team because of the fact that, um, you know, we're playing so well, um, especially defensively. We've tightened up a hell of a lot in the last five or six games. Um, and it kept a few clean sheets, including the one against Stoke. So it's difficult to kind of say, oh, yeah, we'll definitely drop him there because despite uh, Robert Huth's free kick, I'm not sure if you've seen it, um, we were 2-0 up, and because Hooth used to play for Stoke, I think they just let him take a free kick from about 25 yards out just to the the, the right of the goal as I looked at it from behind the goal. Uh, and he, he very much went for the power approach, the Cristiano Ronaldo tried to just kind of, kind of put his foot through it. And I think it went out for a throw-in. <laughs> it was terrible. It was I would, pretty I would, <laughs> I would actively encourage the audience to hunt that out if you haven't seen it, because while Morris's goal assist, sorry for for the third goal was sublime, Hooth's was equally as bad. Um, kind of culminated in the fact that Mike Dean could, the referee could barely stop laughing and stand up long <laughs> enough to run back to his mark when they had to go and take the throw in. Um, so you know when even the referee is laughing at you, that it, it's a pretty poor effort. Um, but yeah, back to, to transfers. I. I think there's a certain element of that. I think a lot of people look at like a football manager type approach, which is kind of like a football simulation game in this country where they just look at the best stats and say, Oh, okay, we need a player for here that similar to Kev, you obviously mentioned Charlie Austin. He's kind of a striker who's been in demand uh, because of the fact his contract was running out at at QPR. He's he's got a record of scoring goals in that season, despite the fact they got relegated. Um, So his low transfer fee uh, would have made him a target, I think for a lot of clubs, but if you don't think someone's going to fit in, and or more to the point if they're going to be a disruptive influence, I think you know, a lot of people are willing to take punts on players who they don't think are necessarily going to be the most harmonious of signings. If you look at someone like um, Joey Barton, uh, you know I think there's a lot of clubs out there that probably wouldn't want to touch him because of his personality and what he brings. He brings that tenacity, but you know a lot of the time it goes far above and beyond. Um, but clubs will still take a punt on those players but you know I think it's smart by Pochettino don't buy players just for the sake of it and um, buy them if you think they're going to fit in but then again I suppose that does make it even more difficult because you've got another criteria it's difficult enough to get deals done in January as it is because you have to pay over the odds players don't always want to move um, and agents and clubs are well aware the selling clubs anyway are well aware of that fact so you do tend to get stitched up a little bit I think in January with deals like that um, I don't know whether Leicester have got a few more coming in. I hope we buy a striker or two. Because we let Andre Camprich go out on loan this this week to Hoffenheim. So with Shinji Okazaki going off injured uh, against Stoke, that basically leaves us with Ujoa, um Vardy and probably Joe Dodu if if he's around, we could perhaps get him into the squad in some way, shape, or form. He and wasn't great, very. And
0: Gray can be like a.
2: Yeah, Greg could play as a second striker, I guess, and maybe that you know that that's part of the reason that we brought him in earlier in the window. Maybe Ranier is looking at it and thinking, yeah, you, you know, you could play that second striker role because he is very quick and good with the ball at his feet. So he could actually play out wide, and I think probably the preference would be for Mares to drop into that second striker role, considering how well he's been doing um, early, certainly earlier on in the season. But there, there is. I think definitely a place for at least one more striker. Uh, We just need to to identify that player. I'm not sure who it's going to be. But again, I don't think we're going to go paying over the odds. I would hope that, you know, we've got an underrated target from maybe France or Germany that not everyone's going to be chasing, as is our kind of normal modus operandi for these things.
0: Yeah, and a quick question for you. Uh, News came out earlier this month that your current... uh, head of technical development of something, Uh, head of your scouting department has left for Arsenal. He was promoted after last year your head of scouting came to Tottenham. Are you at all concerned about kind of talent identification in that aspect going forward, or do you just have another one that will probably be looked at next year by the bigger clubs?
2: I think there must be like a production line of scouts in Leicester somewhere, just like <laughs> one fall after the other keeps falling off the conveyor belt. Um, it is a little bit concerning, but in the same way that, you know, you couldn't begrudge someone like Jamie Vardy or Riyad Mahrez going to work at a, a club like um, Arsenal. And what you tend to forget is that the backroom staff aren't paid, you know, the earth. Whereas players, you know, can have one professional contract for three or four years that could essentially almost set them up for life if they're on enough money. Um, you know those those people behind the scenes maybe they offered to double his wages which for the majority of working people is probably a huge um a huge issue and you know you can't fault what the work that they've done i would hope that there is enough of a robust scouting structure in place that one person leaving doesn't necessarily mean that the whole thing falls apart and i would certainly you know look at what happened when the previous um person left to go to Tottenham and how we fared since then, the players that we've brought in and hopefully, you know, on the whole, the successes that they've been. Um, So I I would like to think that there's enough of a scouting department there and sports science and analysis guys um, to, to, to cover that loss. And hopefully, you know, we're able to just tick along because the thing is targets are identified months and months in advance. You know, we've been after Okasaki for, before we signed him for for the best part of two years. Um, We tried to sign him in January, um, of the previous year and he was at the Asia cup. So that was very, very difficult. Um, And then we finally managed to get him nailed down this summer, despite trying to sign him the summer before, as well as in January. So, um, you know, you'd hope that the targets that we're looking at at the moment are already there. Um, How that plays out going further forward, I suppose, depends on the players that come in and ultimately where we finish. Um, If you've got champions league football, the scouting department's job is kind of half done in the sense that there's probably not a need to sell the club to the player. Um, there are players like Christian Fuchs, potentially, you know, that took a punt on coming to Leicester and thought, yeah, the money's good. They're a solid Premier League team, but you don't know where they're going to finish this year. Whereas if you've got the lure of Champions League football, your scouting pool probably comes a lot bigger, but then you need a better quality of player. So it's kind of, you know, swings and roundabouts with the, in that sense.
1: Um, I read, read an interesting article yesterday about Postino. You mentioned just now, and he's he mentioned he talked about um, was it Osvaldo, who he had at Southampton, yeah. who he signed. And then for, they cancelled
0: the loan, like,
1: or no, yeah, that I mean, wasn't
0: Osvaldo. They, who was that one? Sorry, I didn't mean to
1: derail. Really. Isn't that the guy? No, they signed him for like twelve, fifteen million, and then they ended up cancelling his contract after like two years, or or not even that, because he was such a disruptive influence. Yeah, and, and he
0: scored like a screamer against City, and then they also had a guy that they brought in on loan. I want to say from Inter. And they cancelled it before the season even started.
1: Yeah, yeah. like, come um,
0: to the training camp and he was like, nope.
1: Yeah, and and what you just said about um, Potichino's view on on transfers makes a lot of sense if you've had an experience such as that, um, bringing somebody in that caused so much trouble. And, you know, we've been rumoured to be bringing in Adebayo or Bentner. Those are the two names that have come up. Former Arsenal. Well, I mean, <laughs> the thing is we need a goal scorer and we took a punt on Patrick Bamford who had an excellent season last year in a championship and it just didn't work out for us this year we signed him on a year's loan from Chelsea and i think maybe a lot of our eggs are in one basket in the fact that that would hopefully come you know work out for us because he had you know he scored i think he was top scorer in a championship last season i think i remember rightly i think he was the player of the season it just didn't work out for whatever reason. Parge obviously didn't see enough of him in training, so he didn't get many starts. I saw him in a couple of games in the Carling Cup and he looked absolutely atrocious. Um, he really did. Just something wasn't right, whether he just wasn't the right fit or he wasn't enjoying the club or, or whatever. And he left under but what we all know was that erroneous term straight after the uh, defeat to... I think it was after the Chelsea game. Might have been... No, it might have been before that. Um, but anyway... Um, I think that was a bit of a gamble on our part which didn't work out and that's left us with a group of strikers which are just not scoring goals. Adeboyor, I mean, you look at his stats and you have to say, you know, he scored goals wherever he's been. Arsenal, Man City, Tottenham and Real Madrid. I mean, you yeah, know, those are top, top clubs, top names. How fit he is, I don't know. I I believe he's come out and said that he's been working, you know, with his personal trainer for six months, but that's not being match fit. I would like to think or if I know or if I think I know Pardue like, you know, most people do, then he's using that as a smoke screen, the Adebayor mention because it has been mentioned to him on a couple of occasions in his press conferences and he said yep yeah, it's certainly one we can think about and you know he's on our radar that sort of thing and and he's said very similar for Bentner but hopefully he's got a trick up his sleeve and you know he's letting the media just run with those stories and and go with that but I, I've seriously I mean it's it's split Palace fans down the middle as to whether we want somebody like Adebayor in because yep he scores goals and he can come in and he can play that lone striker role which is somebody we want to challenge Wickham for that role we need we need two strikers to challenge for that one role and, and to keep each other on their toes which is what we've got throughout the squad really uh, in terms of players challenging and, and pushing players for their positions but it's that disruption in the changing room you know he he is a big ego. He he can be a disruptive influence as as it turned out uh with Spurs, as Kev could probably vouch for, um, towards the end of his uh, his time there. And the fact that Spurs are still paying his wages to the end of the season is <laughs> it's just crazy. Um as for Bentner, yeah, I mean it's very similar situations that you don't quite know what you're gonna get with that player. But I think January as as Jim said, it it's a crazy month. You're paying over the odds for players, whatever you do. And I think it says a lot for not much, not an awful lot happens in January until you get to the last week of that transfer window and the days close down right until the transfer window closes on that day. There's deals pushed through because I think clubs and players are kind of playing each other off in a way and thinking, oh, you know, how desperate is that player? You no, know, we don't want to pay for a nose, but then do we go back and, and pay that bit more at the end, you know, out of desperation? I'm confident that we're going to have somebody in by the end of uh, you know by the transfer window. A lot of people were pinning their hopes, or a lot of Palace fans for certain were pinning their hopes on Charlie Austin coming to Palace. You know, it's not far from QPR to come across London to play for us. He he would probably fit the role perfectly. Um, you know, in place of Wickham or, or or switching it up or changing it around, but. Um, you know he, he has close ties down the south coast you know he he made his name at Paul Town in non League which is not far from Bournemouth play for Bournemouth and you know Southampton we believe is a club that he's always wanted to play for so I don't think many other clubs really had a chance of getting him if Southampton were going to go in for him and they got a real snip of a deal for him even though they're probably paying him a fair, fair wage uh, you know because they didn't pay a big transfer fee it, it it really is a tough one because you know we've been lucky in January transfer windows. We've signed players which have worked out for us, such as Scott Dan, um, Joe Ledley to a certain extent. Um, so I'm hoping that we can we can find that 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 player that can come and do it. But everybody wants a striker, don't they? It's it's that sought after position where you know. Are you going to spend a lot of money on somebody to come in and will it work out? It's no guarantee it's going to work out. You're going to pay for a nose for a player in January anyway, generally. Um, so it's all a bit of a gamble. I'm not that keen on a January transfer in, I must say, even though Palace have done relatively well uh, in the last couple of years from it. So um, we'll see. Um, I'm not totally convinced on an Adibo signing or a Bentham signing. I'm hopeful that we can get somebody else in who uh, you know might live on a squad up and, and give us a few goals. But we'll see who that. Who that might be if it is somebody
0: yeah um brief thing the player i was thinking of was safir Taider, who was on loan for three weeks at southampton who pochettino said failed to live up to the high levels of commitment expected (laughs) yeah can be a bit of a stickler when it comes to stuff like that um in terms of am i concerned about how players conduct themselves off the pitch because we've just been talking about how <laughs> this is what pochettino does <clears throat> don't need to really touch on that part much i i don't think it's necessary I, but i think it definitely benefits fans and a club when the players are well liked and it's exactly what we're seeing at tottenham and it's what's happened in between the avb era to the pochettino era is now we love all of our players like the <clears throat> the cane kit was the eighth highest selling in the world last year which is crazy but if you look at just the tottenham shirt sales the division is fairly even after kane because everyone has a favorite at the club we brought in a huge fan base by signing Min sun which uh unlike the deandre yedlin one uh worked for both football and for marketing um we have him we have ericsson so all the nordic people are in love with him uh then so we we've spread them out everybody has their own flavor all of them work very hard Eric Dyer is kind of the hard-nosed Englishman everybody's very happy about we haven't had since Scotty Parker left um and so i i love how everyone acts largely their their friends off the pitch they you're constantly getting inundated with uh twitter and instagram uh images of all of them hanging out like six of them are in uh barcelona right now which is prompted some baseless speculation about Kane joining Barcelona. Because, what does it take, like, two minutes? He literally posted a thing. He was like, hello, Spain, with a Spanish flag. And everyone was like, he's going to Barcelona. Like, eight of our players are there right now. They have a long week uh, before they have to play uh, against Colchester when Kane isn't even going to play that match anyway. Um, But anyway, it's great. I I very much enjoy the close-knit... sense that we're getting from the club at the moment, and I think that kind of touches on all the points of this, which is Pochettino has instilled a very kind of familial feel to what's happening at Tottenham right now, where the players care about each other, they're playing hard for each other, they're playing hard for their manager, they're playing hard for the fans, and this kind of club unity is something that we haven't seen at Tottenham probably since the the Champions League year, Um, and even then people weren't so hot on Redknapp, especially when he started flirting with the England job, so... Uh, for me, I do think that off pitch personality is very important, especially at a club like Tottenham, where it has become so important that, that we remain so close as a unit. And I say we because I'm on Tottenham's payroll. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and, and I think it's why we saw kind of the um, exodus of the likes of Adebayor, who uh, Jay's mentioned there, who stopped putting in the effort. So you know, decided he wasn't going to play anymore. Same with Etienne Capoue. Same with Eunice Kaboul. Same with Aaron Lennon. These were all players that, for one reason or another, uh, ostracized themselves and then were removed from uh, playing at the club. And, and just to wrap this up, there was a really fun quote, and I hope I don't butcher this because I don't have it in front of me, but it was along the lines of, um, Tottenham sign you to a contract to train. I decide if you play. Which I think, uh, it, that's obviously a paraphrase, but I think is very telling of his approach at the club. Is it <laughs> Your paycheck comes from what you do during the week. And then if you were good enough during the week, then you play at the weekend. We're not paying you to play. And I think that that exact thought is what didn't resonate with the likes of Adabayor, who is much better from what we've heard uh, on weekends than he is during the week. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why preseason, and you can go back, I hyped up Della Ali, <laughs> which... Uh, You know, not to brag about knowing a player at my own club, you know, (laughs) brushing dirt off my shoulder. Um, But we heard very early in the summer that he was out training Nabil Benteleb, who previously was our workout star. Uh, And so it it was uh, likely that he would get a chance. We just didn't think he'd be this good. We thought he'd get his chance and then kind of fade back into the squad. But obviously that hasn't happened. So uh, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling. But long may it continue. And and if Potch is, is being fully earnest and that that's why it's taking so long for us to make a deal... Uh, that i'm willing to trust him for sure especially as youngmans son has been a, a fairly serviceable second striker for us so uh yeah uh, from there we will go on to player watch where he's going to quickly talk about a player who impressed us and one who disappointed in our club's most recent fixture if you don't want to talk about a player that disappointed you cough jay every time um <laughs> and we can talk about a player from the opposition who impressed you we'll start off with jim and Lester's match
2: um, there's quite a few candidates for the player that impressed me most because obviously we were, were quite good. Um, I would probably go for Danny Drinkwater as, as my kind of star. I think a goal and an assist um, and just his general midfield play was was pretty outstanding. Obviously Vardy and Mahrez were, were both very, very good as well, but they've been talked about to death on this podcast and in other parts of the media as well whereas i think danny does a lot of the work that goes unnoticed by a lot of people especially since kante came in to replace cambiaso um in that kind of driving forward role um you know drinky does a lot of the stuff that um people don't necessarily talk about too much he he's very good at tackling and winning the ball back and he plays a lot of sideways passes but those passes tend to release players who then drive forward um, and you need a good balance of that in your midfield. You know, you can't have too much attacking intent. Um, otherwise, you get caught short at the back and your defence is exposed. Um, so, you know, Drinkwater was exceptionally good. His his goal was a little bit deflected. But I think over the, the course of the last 18 months and what he's done, um, for Leicester, then, he, you know, it's thoroughly deserved. Um, in terms of a player that didn't do that well, um, let's think. Casper Schmeichel... Wasn't didn't have to do that much, I guess, so it's difficult to criticise him. Um, Danny Simpson was also very good, actually, while I'm talking about players that were very good. Danny was very good. He made one really key interception at the back post where Mamed Biram Duf was about to basically put Stoke in front um, after about half an hour, and he managed to head it out wide. Um, Who else? I'm trying to think of a player that didn't play that well. Can I talk about an opposition? Should I talk about an opposition player if I don't want to talk about um who didn't play well for them um well obviously wolfshard the guy that got absolutely ripped apart by mares wasn't particularly good um (laughs) i was a little bit disappointed by jack butland actually because that's probably best for me to say because Mm. i am a huge huge jack butland fan and i think he is going to be england's goalkeeper for the kind of the next decade once joe hart hangs up his gloves or is deemed to be kind of be behind and an argument can be
0: made for france
2: Oh, oh, absolutely. Like, on the basis of this season, um, you know, Butland, if you're picking purely on form, which is not what Roy Hodgson does, Roy Hodgson has his favourites, which is the reason that Andros Townsend still gets into England squads now and again, despite the fact. So I, I can't remember the last time he kicked a ball. But anyway, that's by the by. Um, I was a little bit disappointed with, with Butland. Like, obviously, great news for Leicester, but from a kind of uh, neutral England fans' perspective, I thought he could have been better. Um, you know, he, he didn't have that much to do. Um, but when he did get called upon, um, the first goal was a little bit difficult to blame him for because it was a deflection and it it kind of wrong-footed him. The second one I thought he could have been stronger on. Um, Jamie Vardy's coming out, and basically he and the central defender, I forget which one it is now, so I won't name them and and look like an idiot, but basically they kind of got themselves confused and almost blocked each other, which allowed Vardy... It was like a blocking route in the NBA where one person blocks the other, but they were both on the same team. Uh, I don't know what you are talking Bardi about. About players blocking kind of each other while skip. the other team got to score. A ball. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> he kind of Vardy then could scoot round. Um, you know, so I, I was kind of expecting bigger things of Butland, but then I suppose he is a very young and player, relatively, uh, especially for a goalkeeper. You know, he can probably play till his mid thirties. So hopefully, um, his form uh, comes back to life a little bit uh, after that, and you know, maybe we could see him in goal for England in in the summer. Um, who knows? But yeah, on the basis of that, I think Drinkwater has to have the plauders this week, and um, I'd say Butland was the one that disappointed for me a little bit.
0: Yeah, the, the men tackling their own men joke was brought to you by <laughs> elder Alderweireld completely laying out Eric Dyer while leaving. Huth incredibly alone on his thunderous header against Tottenham to win that. Maybe match. that's
2: maybe that's something we plan for because that's twice in the space of three games that has happened. So right. Maybe that's a cloud. That's maybe that's a thing now. <laughs> like confusing the opposition <laughs> like into blocking right? each other, like running routes like you do in the NBA, but using the opposition players to block each other.
0: Yeah, or like a crossing route, and uh, then yeah, exactly. you run slants and you try to get the yep. defenders to rub. Maybe, although I have to say, from watching the Tottenham one, I'm not sure there was a second guy involved. (laughs) It really looked like he just tackled him out of nowhere. He was like, I can't wait till we get home. Um,
1: Anyway, uh, Jay, who impressed and disappointed for Palace? Well, I'm going to start with a disappointed player, and that's, once again, Jason Punchin perhaps it's because we know what he can do so well when he's not lived up to it this year really hasn't. I think what summed it up from yesterday, we had a free kick just outside the area, which was, I think our first attack of the game and we had a free kick just outside the area against the Spurs. Kabai and Punchin both lined up for it. I thought Kabai is all day from there. I really did. Um, and took it over the bar. Um, I think he scored four or five free kicks last season. you you hope from that distance he would get on target. But it's just general all-round play is, such, is so off form at the moment. But there's nobody really to threaten his position in the team. He's one of the uh, more senior players at Palace. I think he knows that. Um, but he's just not really doing it. And it's evident that the last couple of seasons, his second half of the season has always been um pretty special uh, particularly the second half of last season and he's you know we were kind of hoping that oh yeah fair enough he might not you know rain into christmas and then after that we'll see the best of him but we're still waiting um and if we have a, when we have a full fit fully fit squad i think a lot of palace fans are waiting for him to get to be dropped because he's not really given us much at all on the pitch he he, he tries he's one of those players that um it's difficult to explain because we've seen it. We've seen him do so well so often. He's not. He's not a particularly quick player, um, but he's quite skillful and he, and he can. He can run with the ball quite well. Um, and he seems to stick to his feet, um, but he just seems to be making the wrong decisions at the moment. And maybe that's just a, a case of him trying to find his form and he's trying too hard, perhaps. But um, I don't like picking players out because uh, you know they're at, they have a hard enough time as it is, and they know that they're not playing well themselves. So any any professional would hopefully um, know that. Um, as for the player that impressed me, I think it's got to be Wayne Hennessy. As I mentioned earlier, he made two horrendous errors in recent games. And it was touch and go whether he was going to start this game, really. Because we do have two decent backup keepers, Spironi and McCarthy, uh, waiting in the wings. Both fit. Um, Spironi was on the bench yesterday. But um, Hennessy came in yesterday, I think Kev said earlier, he made eight, eight saves in the game yesterday. Uh, one Excellent save, which from Danny Rose, which a lot of people are saying he should be making that save. Yeah, he should be making it. But um, as Kev said, you know you uh, you would expect a keeper to go down lower than that, and that's why Danny Rose hit it high, and he still had to hold it. He could have parried it; it could have gone anywhere. Um, but that one for me, and, and and a few others in the game, really showed us that you know his reaction to those two bad errors, bad mistakes he's made and Pardew to show faith in him and give him one more chance in, in a number one jersey uh, and, he, and he, you know, he kind of uh, it, it kind of worked out for it, even though we lost, but you know, he, he, it could have been worse if he hadn't made those saves I think the problem we have at the moment is the fact that because we're not scoring, it puts pressure on defence, I think the defence kind of um, get a bit more rigid uh, when they've got to try so hard to keep defending and, and chance after chance goes begging, so I think we're under pressure, a bit more at the back of the moment because of that. But uh, but fair play to Wayne Hennessy. Reacted well uh, and played well for, against Tottenham. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, one question on the Hennessy thing. Yes, he had a very good performance, but some fans who may not be watching as closely will have seen that he's conceded seven goals in his last two matches. Will there be any outcry for McCarthy to get a return to net, or do you think people are standing by Hennessy?
1: It, it, the 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 fans again are quite split because we have three decent keepers um hennessy's not had yeah. a great run of it but then before that i mean he 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 made save after save in a southampton game which won us three points i mean we got the lead um, but i think he made four saves one incredible save right at the end one on one long uh, Shane Long run through and and he made that save, made himself big and saved it, which that would have been an equalizer. So you know, one or two points there could have easily lost to Everton away, and he made an incredible save from uh, I think it was Cleverly, very late on as well. So we could have lost a point there. So it is swings and roundabouts. I think when a keeper makes a mistake, it's generally a goal. Um, Whereas when a striker misses a goal, you know, it's it's not quite as uh, it's not not perceived quite as bad as uh, a goalkeeper making such an error but Spuroni is one of those keepers where he's been at a club so long. He's a club legend. A lot of fans still still love him. I you know, I, I still do, but I, I've always said that I think this season was his time to kind of bow out and I think it worked out well for Pardew that he, he started the season injured, which gave Pardew um, an easy way out to start somebody else. and he, he plumped for McCarthy because he was his signing in the summer. Uh, McCarthy got injured. Hennessy came in. Didn't start that great, um, but he's made the jersey his own and he deserved that chance to get Spurs at the weekend. Um as for the goals in the last couple of games, um, yeah, I mean the, the the first goal at City, which was a critical point in the game. I think that twenty-minute spell at the start of the game, we were all over City to start with. We were doing quite similar. We had some great chances, and then that happens. Um, you know, dives over the ball from a shot from distance, and you can kind of visibly see the players' heads go down uh, from that point, and 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 it kind of went on from there. Um, the the drop the ball he dropped at Villa. I mean, you know, a, a, a team like Villa struggling like they are, you know, they they need a bit of luck like that, don't they? A keeper throwing the ball over his own line, <laughs> even though it wasn't great from our perspective. Mm. Those two mistakes alone. I don't think you know the other goals were particularly. Um, you know i mean the other two goals i mean he couldn't have saved the alley, um you know one from deli Alley yesterday at all i mean that was just stunning and the one from Chadley, i mean i don't you know couldn't do anything for that so keepers do concede goals um but it's not always their own fault you know you've got a, a back four in front of you you've got a, a midfield in front of that um i just think that you know the team aren't particularly performing as well as we've seen first half of the season and we're we're in a bit of a lull but uh, hopefully we'll we'll come out of that
0: yeah, you mentioned there that the keeper couldn't have done anything about Del Ali. and then, uh, The commentator said Del Ali was the only one that knew what he was doing. Then in the post match, uh, Del Ali said he wasn't even thinking about what he was doing. So no one knew that was going to happen. Um, so definitely can't blame Hennessy really. for that when The guy that took their shot didn't even know what he was doing. Um, I did think that was hilarious. And exactly the kind of answer you'll get out of a 19-year-old that somehow managed to be great in the Premier League. just like, oh, I wasn't really mm-hmm. thinking. I just kicked it (laughs) like oh great um maybe takes a touch of shine off that (laughs) for the player that impressed me the most uh for tottenham uh i think uh nasser chadley definitely deserves the credit especially because i have been harsh on him lately uh steps in with a goal and an assist in just a few minutes of play (laughs) just a few i'm pretty sure it was like 30 minutes 30 plus in fact but um all in all very pleased With Chadley's performance I would still like to see him get a little leaner The way he was before He he does still feel just a touch slow But um, the strength is still there As was seen when he ran Halfway across the pitch before uh, Scoring uh, the third goal Um, Jay, you will probably Be very surprised by this, as was I Did you know Della Ali got the assist for that Chadley goal? For passing it to him From the corner? Did he really? (laughs) Yeah Wow. Chadley ran literally half the width of the pitch from yeah. the touchline to the middle of the pitch before shooting that Del Ali was the one that took it to the corner and passed it back to him and they questioned that ridic- as an assist yeah. that's ridiculous it really is he had so little to do with that goal not only did it count as an assist it counted as a chance created which it was
1: even less um, but Ch- Chadley, Chadley should have had both the assist and the uh, he
0: should have he muscled by everyone <laughs> And they're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: Ali helped him
0: on that. <laughs> not really was, at all, though. No. Um, but anyway, it helped your fantasy team, so why complain? <laughs> um, but uh, for a player that disappointed me a little bit, it hurts because he left injured, but Jan Vertonghen was not in this match for some reason or another. He just wasn't on it. Usually him and Alderweireld have an like, unspoken understanding of where they're constantly going to be. The gaps between them were often too wide. I already mentioned the Vertonghen incidents that led to the Ongel, not even just complaining about the Ongel. That can happen to anyone. You try to put your foot out to deflect a shot, in, that happens. But he brought the pressure on himself. He's the reason why Lloris had to do a little bit of dribbling in his own box there early on as well. Uh, So yeah, Vertonghen was disappointing for me. Very unfortunate to catch the elbow from Wickham also. His studs were in the ground when he fell, which led to his knee being injured. Time will tell on that. Rough estimate, probably two to three weeks. Um, Fortunately, we have Kevin Vimmer in tow, who has been very good in all the competitions. But the injury to Jan Vertonghen meant that they are no longer uh, the only center-back pairing that had played every minute in the Premier League, which they had been up until that point. So uh, hopefully he gets better well, but unfortunately in this match he was who disappointed me. All right, and... uh, We've had some technical difficulties while recording today, but I think we're out of time. Uh, so if you want to tell the folks where they can reach you or any projects you're working on, now be a good time.
2: Thanks for listening, guys. I've been Jim. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jim988. You can find a lot of my um, betting ramblings at Gold Betting, where I'm the chief betting editor. But I'm off on holiday again this week, so don't look there until a week on Monday because um, you won't find any of my stuff so yeah just Twitter for pictures of my dog on holiday this week
0: <laughs> who's he being linked to I, I've heard he could move to Sociedad
2: <laughs> his name is Casper so he's probably being linked to every single goalkeeping vacancy in Europe at the moment <laughs> or a ghost club <laughs> That's yes
0: because
2: yeah, they exist <laughs> well Casper the friendly ghost anyway yeah, yeah, yeah I'm not sure he's very very good in goal with you know this has gone terribly awry. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to derail that entirely.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. I'm Jay. I'm editor of the theeaglesbeak.com. We've had a few te- or a lot of te- technical difficulties, a bit like this podcast tonight, over the past uh, 10 days or so. But the site is back online. We've had a bit of a rebrand, taking some time to get everything back, all our data's back. So thankfully, it's been a lot of hard work. So go and check it out. I also do a lot of work for Palace Fan TV, uh, match, post-match videos and monthly reviews. So check them out on Twitter at Palace Fan TV. And also, um, I'm a football expert on Back of the Net Football Show, which is a local community show, but you can get it online through the TuneIn app and at Suzy Radio. You can catch me there at underscore backofthenet underscore. Uh, but I'm mostly at, um, at the Eagles Beak on Twitter, so you can catch me there.
0: Yeah, thanks for listening. I am your host, Kevin DeVries, at KevRoff on Twitter. You can find my rating over at blog.playtaga.com. And also, I will have a fantasy article up on theeaglesbeak.com now that it has been restored to its former glory. Um, not sure what the schedule will be on the fantasy shows this week, as there obviously is not Premier League action this uh, weekend, but rather early the following week. Um, so we will keep you up to date on that. Uh, But yeah, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening.